Okay, we're in a series called A Hero's Journey. A Hero's Journey. And during this series, we're going to highlight the story of one character in the Bible every Sunday. But we've chosen these characters because their life celebrates a value that's special for our church. And uh, these values need to be celebrated so that we can become the church that God has called us to become. And so today we're going to celebrate the value that's in our church as it should be. The value of cherishing God's word. The value of, on a regular basis, opening the word of God and just savoring that word. The value of building all of our lives, individually and corporately, around the awesome Unshakable Word of God. And so I'm thinking, okay, at the end of this message, I am going to give you some practical tips because I want us, I know we're a practical church. Myers-Briggs, we have a lot of SJs here. And so we're going to get practical later on. But I'm thinking, you know, what would be best before we get practical is to get motivational and inspirational. So I'm thinking... You know, who in our church has really built their lives around the Word of God? And I just thought it'd be cool for us to hear from them their testimony of how and what it's been like and the value of building your life around God's Word. So, Alice, would you come up here? Now, Alice, uh, for those of you who know Alice, she has been through a lot. Um, Her husband, whom we love dearly, who was an awesome guy, um, passed away not long ago. And Alice has been holding on to the Word of God. And the Word of God has been giving her hope and encouragement. And so, here's a life. And this is what it looks like to build your life around the Word of God and to be sustained by that Word. So I was thinking, what better way to showcase that than to have Alice share her journey of cherishing God's Word. So can we give a hand to Alice? So um, when Eric's cancer returned in 2008, after being in remission for about 10 years, everything just changed overnight. And the immediate change, for most of you know, was that we literally had to back out from a mission trip that we were supposed to be leaving in a couple days. And so that weekend, instead of heading out to Mexico like we were supposed to, we ended up scrambled trying to f- make different appointments with doctors and trying to find an oncologist for him and uh, scheduling for different tests and more scans and et cetera. And so for about two years after that diagnosis, um, we pretty much had to take each day as it came because things were constantly changing. Um, things like... Um, our daily routine, our work, our finances, and even our relationship with people were constantly changing. And so it was at that time that I really needed something to, that I can find that, are, that is constant, things that I can hold on to that I know would never change, which is God's word. And I've always heard that Bible study fellowship is a great way to study the Bible, But I've also heard that it's also a big commitment because it's a lot of work. And frankly, up to that point, I really didn't really have the desire to make that commitment. 
But when Eric's cancer came back, and in the midst of all the chaos, God did an amazing thing. He actually put the desire in me that I wanted to get back to God's word and to <clears throat> and to study it in a more uh, structured way. And so, in 2009, that's when I started with BSF. And I remember right after I graduated from high school, um, my older brother passed away unexpectedly. And <clears throat> up to that point, my faith wasn't really being tested. And when it all happened, I remember the, the verse that just came to mind was uh, Romans 8. And it says that we know that in all things God worked for the good. And I just held on to that, um, not knowing how God worked for the good, but it was just comforting to, to, for me at the time to know that God, uh, everything was going to be okay. But when Eric's cancer came back, the verse popped up again, and this time I decided to go a little further. And so in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 37, it says that we, and we know that in all things God works for the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And these verses speak of God's sovereignty, um, his purpose, which is to conform us to, his, to the image of his son Jesus, and that he will be glorified. And God uses everything, the good and the bad, um, to mold us and to transform us to be more like him. And the ultimate purpose is to prepare us for eternity to be with him. And, you know, and at the end, the chapter concludes with that in all these things, we are more than conquerors uh, through him who loved us. And that was such a uh, powerful promise that I was able to hang on to and to know that, um, you know, that God really does work together for the good. And it's even though I may not see at a time what it is. And so the first year um, in BSF, we studied the book of John. And in John chapter 9, it talked about Jesus met a, a man born blind. And people were asking, why? You know, why is this happening? And <clears throat> so with Eric's cancer coming back, we couldn't help but also ask the question, why? You know, especially two days before we were supposed to be leaving. You know, why is this happening? Um, so in chapter 9, verses 1 to 4, it says that as he went along, he saw the man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened, so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. These verses really change our focus and our mindset. Um, instead of focusing on the why, um, 
And just the thought of knowing that God can use us um, even through the cancer and that he can be glorified was really encouraging. And in hindsight, um, God really did open up a lot of opportunities and doors for us to to be able to share with people that we normally don't have a chance to talk to or to share. And because people were really interested in knowing how we were doing, so it was really easy and natural for us to share with people, you know, what what God was doing in our lives and how God really made a difference. And even after his passing, God was still bringing a lot of people to me that I was able to share. And it's, it's really been exciting to see God at work. And so the second year, uh, BSF, we're studying the book of Isaiah. And the verses that God really spoke to me during that time period was uh, from chapter 40, verses 28 to 31. It says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will walk and not be faint. And boy, did I feel tired and weary And um, during those two years uh, when Eric was battling with his cancer. And there were days where I would be running around, you know, between the hospital and work and uh, never really have a chance to go home other than to hop into the house just to take a quick shower in the morning before going back to the office. And um, and that was because I really didn't feel comfortable taking a shower in the hospital and because the, there was no lock on the doors, and I thought that was kind of weird. <laughs> but I think it's really for the pay, the the showers are really meant for those patients, not for, for me. So anyway, um, but actually it's not just the physical being tired. It's also just the emotional and mental as well. And, um, and the verses here in Isaiah, it was just so comforting to me to know that God is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And not only is he powerful, but that he also gives strength uh, to the weak and weary, and for those that hope in him, they will be uh, their strength will be renewed. And how true that has been. Um, in hindsight, looking back, it was really just through God's strength and power in me that I was able to to um, to move on. And so, when we seek after God, I think God is um, God is always honor. Our, our desire, and he knows where we are, and he will meet us where we are, and he will speak to us through his word, and his word is powerful. And in the book of Psalms, in verse, chapter 19, verses 7, 7 to 10, it says that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Thank you. Can you turn in your Bibles to Second Kings chapter 22? One thing that I wanted you guys to get 
from Alice Sharing. I want you guys to think about the people that you want to become. What kind of person do you want to become? What kind of person are you becoming? And one thing that I wanted to, um, I wanted you to get from Alice's testimony is that if you want to be a person who has attributes of kindness, of faithfulness, of unshakable rootedness, if you want to be a person that looks and smells like Jesus, you need God's word. You need to build your life in response to God's word. And you need to invest more time and energy and life into the scriptures. And you will find nourishing life coming back as you invest in the scriptures. Now, please uh, turn with me to uh, 2 Kings uh, chapter 22. And we're going to start in verse 3. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, the secretary to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord, repairing the house. That is, to the carpenters, and to the builders, and to the masons. And let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I've found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now, our story takes place during a really sad time in Israel's history. They had a temple and they had a religion, but the religion was really compromised. There was a lot of spiritual adultery that was going on in the land. And there were other cults, other beliefs, other practices, and they were creeping into Israel and creeping in and and creeping in until their faith was polluted and severely compromised. This is a very, very dark time for Israel. But nevertheless, they had a temple and they had a book and the temple needed some external repair. And the book, which contained the very heart of their faith and their covenant, it was lost. It was misplaced and it was unopened. So the temple needs some repair, and so King Josiah sees this, and he says, well, let the monies collected at the temple be collected, and let's give it to the workmen who can do this repair. We got a temple to upkeep. There needs to be some maintenance. Let's get to it. And so you imagine there's a worker, and, you know, he's doing something in the temple, and behind the the cobwebs and the shadows, he finds this bookshelf, and it looks like it's sacred, and Look, there is a scroll. And so he picks up the scroll and he, you know, and all this dust comes flying out. 
And it's the book of Deuteronomy. And he looks at this and he thinks, I think this is pretty important. I don't think we should throw this away, you know? And so he gives it to the foreman. Take a look at this. What's this? I found it on the sacred bookshelf. The foreman's like, whoa, whoa. And gives it to the, and then they finally give it to the secretary who was commissioned by King Josiah. And you imagine the secretary is like, oh, is, whoa, is, is this what I think it is? And then he gives this report to King Josiah. King Josiah, I did everything you asked me to do. I got the workmen and the monies. We're fixing the temple. It's going really great. Oh, by the way, I found this book. I think you should really take a look at it. I think it's really, you need to, you need to hear this. Now, at this point, I think it's, it's probably good for us to just go, how in the world did this happen? Like, you got a temple, you got a religion, and at the very heart of the faith is this book, and the book is unopened? Like, how does that happen? And I'm not going to, like, speculate and talk about how one thing led to the other, but I do want to make the observation that actually what was happening over there is kind of happening, like, here in our time, in our age. You guys, you guys know where I'm going with this? I mean, am I kind of preaching yet, you know? Like, we got a church building, and... We got people coming on Sunday, and that's great. And by the way, not taking away from that, great, it's great, it's awesome that you guys are here. But there's a book that's at the very heart of our faith. And a lot of times, you can go through a message, of, you know, of other churches, never at ours, but you know, you go through a message where the book is unopened. Or the book is opened, but it's not really running through people's hearts. Is that kind of similar to what happens here? Or, dare I say this, in our own houses. You know, I, I got, I have, by God's grace, I have a house, and we got furniture. But I also got this book, and why is it like on my shelf all the time collecting dust, you know? It's a case of the faith with the unopened book. And it, it seems like a lot of us have that problem. Now, let me ask the question, why is it that the book remains unopened? Why are we not opening this book more often? Why are we not regularly getting into this book if we're not? Why, how come we're not more passionate about what it says in this book and investing our minds and our times and our energy in God's Word? Why don't we do that? I think this is a fair question. Uh, so, with any fair question, I think it warrants some conversation. Can you turn to someone next to you? Or if you're like, oh, I got no one next to me, you know, you can just scribble something on some notes. But just tell them one user-friendly reason why we don't open the Bible more often, okay? It's not like a shame-on-you moment, but this is kind of a, okay, we, we maybe have some same struggles, right? So, can you turn to someone next to you and just say, okay... This is one reason why you guys are looking around the room like, who's safe? Who's not going to, like, rat on me, you know? Okay, and just share with them one or two reasons why, okay? Let's go for it. Go ahead. Okay, and can we have the other person share too? 
Okay, I, I'm, I, this is good conversation. You can pick up the conversation maybe on the ride home, like, you, you, know, you're, you know, with roommates or friends or family, and just say, hey, why is it that, why is it that we are not investing more in the scriptures? But I'm going to give you my top three, okay? Now, I've been a, a pastor for more than 10 years. I have conversations with people, right? And believe it or not, I listen. And, you know, I, I, and it's, it's cumulative, and I, I have my own top three that intersects with your top three. And so here it is. Number one. Now, you might be shocked that this is, saying, this is being said at church. Forgive me. I, I'm just trying to be honest with what I hear. Okay, number one, reading the Bible is boring. I said that. I did say that. But honestly, some of you were thinking it, right? And others of you probably even shared it, Right? You guys, okay, you're not, okay. But, but sometimes I know we can have a thought like that. Number two, I'm going to go fast. Number two, um, it's hard to understand. Like, again, not to shame anyone, but there, there was a group that was reading. Okay, I'm not going to even say it. But, 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 but anyway, it's hard to understand. What, you know, like you read two chapters of Paul, and you're like, they're English words. What in the world is he saying? You ever have that feeling? Like, what? And you read it again, like, what? You know? Okay, reason number three. I don't see how it relates to me. So I got something that's boring. I don't really understand it. And it doesn't really relate to me. So I'm not going to read it, right? Now, okay, that, that would be the case for the unopened book. That would be the case for the unopened book, all right? Maybe you can relate to that case. Let's keep on going. Verse 11, when the king heard the words of the book of the law. Now listen to this. Listen to this. Imagine this scene, Okay. He tore his clothes. Okay, now if I grabbed my shirt and tore my clothes, okay, that wouldn't be, you know, one-to-one. It would be like me in the pulpit. I am so mad. You know what I do? I tear open my Bible. How many of you guys would remember that message? Only some of you. (laughs) Right? But a lot of you would be like, oh, yeah, I remember that time you tore your Bible. I don't remember what you said after that, but I remember the time you tore your Bible. Uh, is the joke. But, but, but it would be like Obama getting so upset that he, in this oval office, he like throws over his table in front of the media. Okay, what's going to happen? You're going to hear about it in the headlines the next day, right? I mean, when the king tears his clothes, everyone listens. Now, uh, so let me, let, me, let, me, let me tell you what. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and... Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Akbor, the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan, the secretary, and Azziah, the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. But I, I do want to point out, he tore his clothes. He tore his clothes. Now, when a king tears his clothes, it's saying, Stop everything! Stop everything. Listen to this. Everyone. Not just for himself, although it's definitely for himself. For everyone around him, for the whole nation. Stop. Listen to this. We're going to make some serious changes. Now, let me ask you guys. When you, when you hear the scripture, is that how you hear the scripture? Is that how you hear God's word? Is it one of those, okay, stop everything. Listen to this. You know what I really like about this passage and how Josiah responds? What I really like about this passage is that Josiah didn't hear God's word and say, 
that's nice. Now, Hilkiah, I really am appreciative that you read me that word. Can you now attend to the royal lunch? You know, I'm really thankful that he didn't say that. He said, this is a stop everything moment. The word of God is that powerful. Stop everything. Listen to this. When you go into your quiet time, you read the Bible, it is a, it is a stop everything, listen to this moment. When you, when you pray and you hear something from, is it a, a st- when you come to church, is it a stop everything and listen to this moment? Or is it kind of like, you know something, I, I'm going to just, you know, like play with my iPhone, you know, none of us would do that. But, you know, I mean, is it a stop everything and listen to this moment? Do you give the word of God that kind of respect? Now, now listen to this, listen to this. Let's just pretend we had some newcomers today, and let's pretend that they've never heard anything from the Bible. And let's say they hear the message of the cross, and they leave church, and they are so, like, blown away that they start, like, giving away half of everything that they have and start telling everyone about Jesus. Now, here's the thing. If you're in church long enough... You might look at that and go, that response is a little bit weird and kind of extreme. Okay, now the point I want to make is if you really look at the message that's conveyed, who's weird and extreme? Is it the person that has a radical response or is it the person that goes, you know, that's nice. I would like for you to attend to the royal lunch. Which one is weird and extreme? Which one is appropriate? No, listen to this. Listen to this. This is a stop everything moment. The God of the universe that created you and me loved us so much that when he saw that judgment was coming our way and each of us was going to stand before the throne and be judged and each of us was going to fall terribly short, this God stepped into time. His son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross to pay for the penalty of our sins so that we would not receive damnation. He gave up, this is the king of the universe. He gave up everything. Now, the most inappropriate thing when you hear that message is to go, that's nice. I don't know. I wasn't really into that. I was really focused on something else. Oh, that's so inappropriate. The appropriate way to hear that word is to go, well, If God would give me everything, then when he speaks, it's a stop everything moment. And I'm going to build my life and my free time and my practices around his word. My life is going to be a response to him entirely. That seems appropriate, okay? What's inappropriate? Not the way that Josiah is responding. In fact, Josiah is the only normal person in the room. Given the word given the message, given who God is, right? So we should also be more normal. (laughs) We should also be more appropriate. Uh, I'm going to leave with, uh, before we go on, with that, that scripture from Hebrews 4. The word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. By the way, a sword is many things. It's not nice. Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And we go, okay, stop everything. Listen to this. I'm going to build my life around it. And I'm going to cultivate uh, practices in my life 
where I'm building my life in response to God's word. It's worth that investment. It's worth that investment. Okay, now I, I want to go through quickly how Josiah responds, okay? Okay, what he does is he tears his robe, and then he commissions this, uh, this council of people that whom he highly trusts to go and inquire of God and, and, get, and give, get word back to me. And then what he does is he assembles all the leaders of the land, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all together, and he has the word of the covenant in Deuteronomy read to everyone. Stop everything. Come over here. Oh, doesn't that sound like walk through the Bible? But anyway, um, um, gathers everyone. Listen to this. All the words are read. I imagine he would say, okay, guys, we've been falling really short from this word, but now's a great time for renewal. Who's with me? Let's renew. Let's do it. And the people respond as one, yes, we will. And so they go ahead and they renew the covenant. Now let me walk you through what he does next. Then he starts to carry out these sweeping reforms over the nation. Uh, First of all, he's cleaning the house. He removes anything from the temple connected to cults. And then Levite priests who were serving at illegitimate places of worship. He relocates them, and then he closes down their illegitimate places of worship. This is all in uh, verses 4 through 20 in chapter 23. Then horses dedicated to the sun are destroyed. Worship of stars and their altars are destroyed. Sweeping spiritual reforms continue all the way to verse 20. And then what do you think happens next? Don't look at your Bibles. Tell me what you think happens next. Now, I just imagine, because we let go of all these things the nation really liked, there might be a little bit of mourning. And I'm saying that because sometimes Christians feel that if you don't do this and you don't do that in your life and you, you don't do this, then you must be a true Christian. And the true Christian might say, yeah, I've let go of all these things. I'm holy and miserable. Yay, I'm a true Christian. And what I want to say next is, no, 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 no. That's not the scripture. What happens next is celebration and joy. They're going to celebrate the Passover celebration. Now, they haven't, they've either never celebrated this before. It's the first time in a very long time. But what I want you to get is they are going to have a party. And there's going to be people, and there's merrymaking, there's food. And they're remembering the time that God saved them in Egypt. And so it's a time of thanksgiving. There's joy. There's people. There's food. There's celebration. Now, um, let's go back to the whole boring and I can't relate to it and it's hard to understand. Uh, I was thinking of an illustration of what um, choosing to read the Bible is like and I think I found a really good one. Choosing to read the Bible is like choosing to eat good food. How many of you guys are at a place in your lives where you've made this fresh resolve to choose to eat better food? Raise your hand if you're like me. That happened to me maybe five years ago. Uh, I've actually chosen to eat better foods recently, and I've, I've lost some weight. I know you guys wanted to comment on that. And I have lost a little bit of weight, you know, been doing some push-ups in the basement, you know. Um, But choosing to read your Bible is kind of like making good food choices, right? No, no, think about this. Think about this. Uh, We make good food choices. So like tonight, 
Maybe there's going to be some whole wheat honey bread and some barbecued chicken. You guys are like, that's not healthy. No, it's healthy. It's balanced, right? And maybe some salad that Melvin used to teach me to make where the avocados are mashed up and it's so sweet and it's good and it's healthy. Are you guys with me? You guys like good foods, right? Good, healthy foods, right? And some of you are going to be like, you know, hmm, I could go to Five Guys Burger and Fries or I could have a home-cooked healthy meal. I'm going to choose the home-cooked healthy meal. Why? Because you want to be healthy and strong. You want your body to thrive. And what do you need for your body to thrive? You need some good, nourishing food, right? What do you need for your soul to thrive? You need the Word of God. Isn't that very similar? So tonight, when you go home and you make good choices for your dinner, some of you are like, hmm, you know, Five Guys Burger and Fries sounds pretty good. I might actually go there. Don't go there. Have some honey wheat bread, okay? And some barbecue chicken. It can be healthy. Um, but you make that choice. Then after dinner, you have another choice. You could invest your mind and your heart in God's word and be nourished by that. Or you could watch The Bachelorette. You're like, okay, well, God's Word, The Bachelorette, God's Word, The Bachelorette. And a lot of times we go, hmm, I'm going to choose The Bachelorette, but I'm going to make the better choice for dinner. But when it comes to after dinner, I, I'm going to choose The Bachelorette. That doesn't make any sense. For the same reasons that you would choose the good food for your body, we would make the same choice for our souls. Now, here's the joy that comes out of it. For those of you who have actually reformed your eating habits, you eat healthier stuff now, what happens after a month or two of making good choices? What happens to your body? Your body starts to crave the better nutrients. And you look at the five guys' burger and fries, you're like, nah, actually, I don't want that, right? That, that does happen, right? <laughs> Take it in faith. It does happen. It does happen. Okay, so now and then, five guys' burger and fries is okay. But, but, but take it in faith here. It does happen. Your body actually starts to become accustomed to this acquired taste. And you like brown rice or whole wheat. You like chicken and fish. And you want it. Not just because you like it, but because of what it's doing in you. What does the scripture do in you? If you meditate your heart, mind, and soul, and if you build your life in response to the scriptures, you will not just become more like Christ, but you will fall more in love with Christ. And you'll have a stronger relationship with God. Is that what you want? Is that the kind of person that you want to become? If so, eat this. You got to eat it more regularly. And can it be as simple as that? I think so. It's an acquired taste. But once you get to taste it, you prefer it, you like it, and you love what it's doing for your relationship with God, and you love how um, you're just feeling more intimate with God. And Don, can you come up here? Now, for the rest of the message, um, I wanted to give you guys four practical tips for uh, what we can go home and start applying, maybe doing differently, okay? So number one, uh, one of the practices that I do is I will pick a, a book of scripture and then I will go through that entire scripture word for word and chapter by chapter. Now, when, before I pick a, 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 a book of scripture, I will say, I will pray and say, God, what book do you want me to invest in for the next season of time? And, and whenever I really do that, God always answers me. It's not necessarily this word comes from heaven, although sometimes it's like that. But sometimes 
in the next couple of days, I find my heart and my interest peaked for a certain kind of book in the scripture. And then for the next month or several months, I am going back to that book, you know, every day taking one more chapter. Now, I would say what happens to me is I, I go through the scripture first with my mind. But as I'm reading it prayerfully and interacting with it, there's something that happens. And I, I think you guys know what I'm talking about when I say there's something that happens. A particular idea in the scripture just comes alive. You, you guys have had that happen before. It just starts to come alive. There's conviction. There's joy. It starts tapping into your heart and it's coming alive. And whenever that comes alive, I go, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to meditate on that. And when I have quiet times after that, I'll go back to that idea, back to that passage, meditate my mind on that. Now, the reason that I recommend going through an entire book of Scripture, and then after that, I'll take a little break and say, you know, maybe read it something else and say, God, what do you want me to read next? And I'll go through that. Now, the reason I'm advocating for that is because when you do that, you actually start to appreciate the Scripture on its terms. Because a lot of us, you know, we appreciate the Scripture on our terms. How does it relate to me? Well, if you appreciate the Scripture on the Scripture's terms first— and it really goes through you, after that, you will see how it relates to you, and it will come alive. But you first need to meet the scripture on its terms, not just, hey, what can it do for me? And when it runs through you, it comes alive. You start to grow, and you start to love and cherish God's word on its own terms. Now, up here, and I, I because that's my method. I go through one book at a time. I really like, it's a feast for the mind and the, and the heart. Don employs a different method. He has a, a Bible app. So if you guys have like a smartphone, this would be really relative to you, but you can go online as well. And I asked Don if you would just give like a, a quick elevator pitch to, to, to kind of showcase his Bible app, app way of getting into the scripture. So Don, would you just go ahead and, 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 and uh, talk about that? Oh, uh, Sure. Oh, so the app that I have is called Uversion. You can download it um, from the App Store. And what I like about it is that, first of all, it just gives me access. So regardless of where you are, you'll always have the Bible with you, right? I mean, I think next to your driver's license and your credit card, this is like probably the most important thing that you keep on your body other than your clothes. So um, yet it, it just keeps the Bible with you. So regardless of where you are, I mean, literally where you are, I don't know where you guys bring your phones, but... Uh, you know, it's with you. Um, so that's probably the most important part of getting me involved in staying with the scriptures, having that access. Um, and I know at work, nobody likes hard copy anymore. It's, you know, it's on your computer, it's on your phone, it's on your tablet. So if you're in that, into that form factor, then this is, this is a good thing. Um, the second thing it gives you um, is flexibility. So like Andrew said, Everybody has a different way. You know, you may want to do something topical. You may want to do something uh, around a specific book of the Bible. Um, for me, at the beginning of the year, I chose to read the Bible, like, from start to finish in chronological order. And version has all these different Bible plans, so you can pick and choose whatever style that you want to study it. So I chose this one version that allows me to, it basically paces it for me. So it's like having a personal trainer. So you know every day you're going to get served up X number of chapters from this book, and you pretty much can see the story from God's perspective 
rather than sort of what's speaking to me, and if it's not interesting to me, then you know, maybe I'm not as motivated to read the Bible. So, so this is a good way for me to basically read the story and really kind of treat the Bible as a story. Um, the third thing that I would say is it's flexible. Um, so I mentioned the personal trainer idea. Um, I'll have to admit, um, I fell behind by about 30 days um, during the month of June, and um, I was feeling like really demotivated. Um, but they have this button here that's called Catch Me Up. And, <laughs> and what you can do is you hit the Catch Me Up button, and that basically says, okay, let's forget that you're 30 days behind, <laughs> all right? Let's just start where you are, and let's just keep going. So I'm at less than 50% through the Bible right now, and you wow. know that we're, what, seven months into the year? So I'm, you know, I know that I'm behind 30 days, but according to this, I'm right on time. So, um, <laughs> so this is good. So anyway, it's been a great motivational tool, lots of great access, and, and uh, I'd highly recommend it to anybody who has an iPhone. Or an Android device. I'm sure it works on both. Thank you. And that's that's U version. U version. Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah. You you have it too, huh? Okay. You'll be up here next time. Um, okay. The last practical tip I, I want to give you is this. This is the last practical practical tip. Have you guys ever read the Bible? And you, you're having a quiet time. You're reading the Bible, and you approached it like it was kind of a dead book. And by the end of your time. It was still like a dead book. Hey, this, is, this is boring. I'm not getting anything out of it. I feel like I'm wasting my time. A- anyone ever have a time like that? Okay. Apparently no one here because you guys are very holy. But, 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 but sometimes you're reading it or you're in a Bible study and it is coming alive. You're like, this word is really... Sp-. Now, when it's coming alive and you guys have those moments, what is happening? What's happening is that the Holy Spirit is working inside you. The Holy Spirit is making this book personal, and God's speaking to you through the Holy Spirit. It's, it's awesome when that happens. Wouldn't it make sense that when you have your quiet time and you start your Bible reading, you invite and recognize the Holy Spirit, His role, His power, and His work when you're reading this book? That would make total sense. And more often than not, when you say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. More often than not, there's something that you will read that will come alive. And so, know his role. Know his power. Bring that into your your personal times or even your group times when you're reading the scripture. Holy Spirit, come and speak God's word. Make it come alive. That's a great prayer. Okay? Would you all stand up and I'm going to uh, pray for you. I I, I hope you... We're not the most expressive church, but I hope this value has a sense of resonance in your heart. Like... Pastor Andrew, I'm, I'm right there with you. I realize the value of this book. And for those of you guys, you guys, I've fallen out of a reading plan. I haven't really been regularly reading my Bible. Now is a great time to go, you know, God, I'm going to renew. I'm going to recommit myself to invest my heart and my mind in your word. And that would be a great Sunday to say, but you know something? I'm going to need your Holy Spirit's help to make this book come alive. Okay, so I'm going to pray for you guys, and then we're going to worship with all our hearts. Lord Jesus, I do ask for our people, even this week, that when they have a time to invest in your holy, living word, that you would send your Holy Spirit 
and that word would come alive that you would be speaking to people through your word and they would be cherishing this book that has so much power to transform them into becoming the people you've called them to become. Would you um, allow your Holy Spirit to make your words personal with conviction, to break our hearts, to mend our hearts, and to make us the people of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name.